There's the stretch by Robinson. The 3 0 pitch. Swing it on drive! There it is! Number 500! The career 500 home run! For Michael Jack Smith! And the Phillies have regained the lead in Pittsburgh! 8 6! And the Phillies dug out to pour the out to home plate! Phillies Talk Podcast is now listener supported. Just go to our Patreon page at Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com forward slash Phillies, and you can sponsor this podcast. Welcome to Phillies Talk, the independent podcast from FightingPhillies.com, featuring news and views about Phillies baseball. Hi, this is Gary Matthews. You're listening to the Fighting Fields Phillies Podcast. And welcome to Phillies Talk Podcast. It's the postseason edition. Not that the Phillies are in it, but uh, the season is over for 2017. And I've got a very special guest tonight going to talk with me about it, all about it. Philadelphia Phillies blogger Matt Veazey. How you doing, Matt? Very rich. How about yourself? Not too bad. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the show started about the uh, last couple weeks of the season for the Phillies, and we were both sort of uh, excited about how they did uh, in the last couple weeks. And it probably doesn't reflect their whole record of uh, 2017, but still they're probably one of the worst three teams in baseball. We have to admit that. Yeah, by overall record, certainly, but... Um... You know, post All Star break, uh, if you will, the second half, they were they were a 500 ball club. So, which is, you know, it's not going to the playoffs, but it's a whole heck of a lot better than the 29 and 58 that they put up in the first half. They were competitive, and it was enjoyable to watch. Them. So, it's uh, something I think that uh, we can build off of and look forward to next year over. Absolutely. They sort of, I would have been very happy if the Phillies finished at 500 this year, and a lot of people sort of picked them to go 500. Were you surprised that the Phillies really trolled the bottom of all of baseball for most of the season? Uh, frankly, no. Because if you, if you look back, I did write, and I do every year. I wrote a, this year, as I always do, a Phillies season preview piece. And my prediction for them this year was 72 and 90 in last place in the NL East. That wasn't because I thought that they weren't capable. I mean, I thought that there was, I thought they were capable of a 500 finish. Uh, that was different, high end, uh, in my opinion. But that was predicated on some of the things that did happen, which was the change in personnel, some of the kids forcing their way here. Um, and, and some of those kids, frankly, being given an opportunity over some of the stopgap measures that they already had. Uh, I thought that if the kids could come up a little sooner, uh, maybe just post-All-Star break, like right away after the All-Star break, uh, I think the only one that really came that early had been Nick Williams. If they could get that going for a full second half, I thought there was a chance that they could, and, and if they could have traded, I mean, I'd never expected a 29 and 58 first half. Uh, I thought that they could win a handful of games more than that, at least, maybe 10 games more than that. So uh, 
that I did not expect them to be as bad as they were in the first half, but in the overall scheme of things at the end, they finished roughly where I thought they would. I thought they would be a 72-win team. They were a 66-win team, and that was mostly because of that terrible first half. So it doesn't surprise me a lot. A lot of the things that I talked about and predicted in that preview and prediction piece in general came through. It was a transition towards the end in the second half and down the stretch with the young kids finally getting their opportunity that made August and September exciting and gave us something to look forward to. And that's something that I spoke to. So the season played out pretty much the way that I saw it playing out. They were a little bit worse than I thought they would be, only because I think that they took longer than I thought making that transition to the kids. And they stuck with the players that were performing and helping create that abysmal first half record, I think, a little too long. Yeah, the young guys that you referred to brought up, yeah, you were calling for them months ago on this very show, Phillies Talk podcast here. That was your RX, so to speak, for the Phillies to become a better ball club. You know, you mentioned on the show that you thought that the Phillies should bring up these players. And, you know, all of a sudden we saw Nick Williams come up. We saw Hoskins. We saw J.P. Crawford. So at least, you know, the Phillies listened, so to speak. Maybe they listened to some of the fan base. Some of the bloggers out there were calling for, you know, bring up the young guys. What are we waiting for? Don't wait till September. Bring them up a little sooner so they can start to play and get in the mix with this team. And it seems like the Phillies did that. And they normally don't do those things. Yeah, it's hard to be too critical. You know, as a fan, it's easy to be critical. You know, we all want, we all know what's going on. We all know that this is a rebuild. We all know that they had, and it's very obvious that they had some players here who were simply placeholder players. The guys like the Michael Saunders and the Howie Kendrick and the Jeremy Hellickson's, those Charlie Morton's, those types of guys. They were brought in to be placeholders. So, you know, the fans wanted to, we want to get past that point. We want to get to the next era, you know, the next winning era. And that wasn't going to happen with those guys. So, you know, the fans naturally want to see the page turned yesterday. You know, we want to see these kids of tomorrow started. Let's get the ball rolling. The organization's argument and some of the writers who follow the team on a close basis who I read some of their writings seem to be, you know, parroting the organizational line, which was, you know, when they're ready, when these kids are ready, we'll call them up. You know, they need more time. You know, they need more time to percolate in the minors or to develop. And, you know, Hoskins came up and he crushed. Crawford came up and he played really well. Alfaro came up and he played pretty well, you know, for the time that, for the most part when he was here. Nick Williams, same thing. All these kids played well when they came up and were given their opportunity, at least the position players. 
So I think the organization line would be, you know, hey, that they played well because they came up at the right time because they were ready. Mm-hmm. I can't argue too much with that, you know. But let let bygones be bygones. You know, we are what we are, and let's right. now it's time. I think we all, even the organization now, is saying. Now's the time. Now the kids are here. Now it's time to start looking at the future. In 2018, from opening day, well, that's what it's going to be. There won't be any more placeholders. Right. And as you said, Reese Hoskins uh, was brought up August 10th. He has numbers that are indicative of all-star caliber numbers, uh, almost MVP numbers if you projected them out over the season. If you started from day one with the Phillies, you might have uh, <laughs> the rookie of the year on the Phillies uh, team. What do you think he's going to do in 2018? Do you think he's going to continue his success that he's had in the few months that he's played here with the Phillies? Or do you think maybe uh, this was just a over-exuberance, uh, you know, happy to be here for 2017, but he'll settle down next year? What's your feelings about that? Uh, Hoskins, I like everybody else. I think I really like Hoskins. He's he's got the, a tremendous approach. He's got tremendous power. Uh, he's not just a power hitter. He's he's a good hitter overall. Those numbers were never going to hold up. Um, he people were talking about oh he's on a pace that over a season he would hit seventy some home runs. Well that's you know that's a, a bit ludicrous. You know you had to know. Like most sluggers, they go through stretches where they hit a bunch of home runs, and then they go through, you know, another stretch where they don't hit any for a while. And over time, it all levels off. Uh, mm-hmm. Next season is going to give us a lot better indication of the type of guy that he is with overall numbers. But if you just look at what he did do, because he did have a slump at the end, you know, the last month of the season. Mm-hmm. He, wasn't what he was for the first six weeks that he was here. But overall is what you have to look at because if he would have been here for the whole year, he would have gone through each of those kinds of stretches. Um, 50 games he played and he hit 18 homers and drove in 48 runs. Give him some off dates, you know, extrapolate that three times, 150 games. That's a 54 homer pace. It's 130, 140 RBI. So I'm not saying that those are the kinds of numbers you want to put up over a full season, but I think we can enter next year with realistic hopes that as a first baseman, which I think he should be playing every day, uh, that this is a 35-40 home for first baseman. Uh, this is a 100-plus RBI first baseman. And how high he can take those numbers, that probably depends on the rest of the hitters in the Phillies lineup, how mm-hmm. much the eyes in front of them are actually getting on base and how productive they are, how he adjusts because the league is certainly going to adjust to him. So how does he adjust back? Mm-hmm. I, I think he's got a lot of potential and this is a long-term piece. I'll, I'll be shocked if that's not the way it plays out. Yeah. Um, I was thinking the same thing. It, it sort of reminds me almost of a Mike Schmidt. Um, when I first got a chance to see him up at the ballpark, and most of our listeners know that seeing a game on TV and seeing it at the ballpark are two different things. You pick up a lot of things at the ballpark, 
that you don't see on TV. And one of the biggest things I noticed about Hoskins is how patient he is at the plate, how he carries himself at the plate. And he's not in a rush for anything. It looks like he's looking for his pitch every time at every at-bat. And yeah, he's not going to hit a home run every at-bat. And as you said, he did well, extremely well for six weeks. He had a little uh, lapse there towards the end, so to speak, if you want to call it that. If anything, maybe he could work on his, uh, his batting average for 2018. He finished at 259, which isn't the worst in the world. Uh, 18 home runs, as you said, and 48 RBIs. That's incredible for, a, I want to say, a rookie that came out of AAA. Uh, I don't know. I think we could be sitting on a, a Mike Trout caliber type of player here with Reese Hoskins. and He's very um, down-to-earth as well. He's not uh, somebody that seems to let success get to his head. Um, he's sort of taken a... I don't know what you would call it, a, a very humble approach to the game, so to speak, and he plays it very well. I would caution, a, like everybody who compares anybody to Mike Trout, I would caution you there. I don't see Mike Trout here, but uh, he certainly should be an impact player, and I'll tell you who I really see, Rich, and, and I would say take a look you know, off the air when you get a chance and look at the numbers. Who he really reminds me of, production-wise, approach-wise, um, don't have to go back that far, is Pat Burrell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people might say, oh, Pat Burrell wasn't as good as Reese Hoskins. Well, then I think that you don't remember, people don't remember how good Pat Burrell was. Um, for a decade here, Pat Burrell was pretty much a 30-home run, uh, you know, plus, 30-plus home run, 100 RBI, 90-some RBI guy who hit roughly 260 and whose his on-base percentage was consistently high. That was a good on-base guy. Um, so I, I see him as more Pat Burrell than Mike Trout, but I think he has the potential to be Pat Burrell plus. Uh, Pat Burrell, you know... Uh, square, if you will. Right. <laughs> his his personality is certainly not that real. I mean, I don't right. see it. Right. Or the you know playboy type running around town. Yeah. yeah. Hoskins seems more grounded and more you know a boy next door type, which I love. Just like that they have that kind of player now. I think that's really going to sell. Uh, Hoskins is going to be really popular here because of the type of look he has and the type of player that he is and the type of attitude that he, uh, and the way he expresses himself and carries himself. I think mm-hmm. he's really going to sell here. You'll see a lot of Hoskins jerseys in 2018. So um, I think that he has a lot going for him. I think the, 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 the better comp is Burl, but I think that he has a chance to put up better numbers than Burl. But that's, you know, time. Time will tell. I mean, when Pat Burl was 25 years old, he had 37 homers and knocked in 116 runs. Hit 282 with a 376 on base percentage. He got MVP votes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need to remember you know, how, how good a guy that is. a Wall of Famer. Yeah. If yeah. turns out to be a Wall of Famer, I think we're all going to be real happy. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Pat Burrell is one of the Phillies that sort of 
falls under the category of he doesn't get enough respect uh, from the fans. And, you know, certainly the way the Phillies treated him uh, after 2008, after the World Series win, was not one that uh, lent itself towards, um, what would you say, um, <laughs> taking care of the player. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to remember the situation, too. I mean, by that point, I had almost a decade in the big leagues. He was uh, turning 32 years old. Uh, sure, he had come off a 33-homer season that year. But, I mean, we all saw, you saw what he was. I mean, he was really, he was never a gazelle in the outfield. And uh, he was never the most, oh, I don't know the best way to put it. I mean, he was never going to win a gold glove out there. Mm-hmm. He seemed like... He seemed like he was, even though he had hit 33 homers, he didn't seem like the kind of guy you wanted to invest big money in long term. I think that was a smart move because he only lasted um, parts of three more years, and his playing time in Tampa and with the Giants diminished each season after that over the next three years. Um, I think it was the right move. I think he made the right call with Pat. He made it, you know, Pretty good money here over the course of his career. I mean, he made something like uh, fifty million dollars. You know, nowadays, that might seem like a bit small potatoes, but mm-hmm. two thousand seven, he made thirteen mil, and two thousand eight, he made fourteen mil. So uh, he only got seventeen million total for his final three years from Tampa and San Fran. So nobody else was giving him big money. You know, so well, you know, why should the Phillies? Um, I think the Phillies made the right move. They. It was a marriage that was great for a long time, and it, you know, it was just time for him to spread his wings and see what else he could get out there, and it turned out that wasn't very much. He didn't have much left in his career after that, and he didn't get much salary-wise. I'll tell you one thing he did get, another World Series ring. Oh, yeah. Is, <laughs> the Giants. Yeah, also another uh, ex-Philly that we traded to the Giants, Hunter Pence. So both of those guys made out like bandits. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break in the podcast here, talking Phillies baseball with Matt Veazey. And Matt, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you on the internet before we take our break? Yeah, Rich, I'm kind of a free agent right now, but I'm doing a lot of MLB writing in general, uh, not necessarily Phillies related, but uh, for instance, the last two nights, last night and uh, tonight, I put out a preview of the wildcard games at my own website, and that's uh, my name, mattveazey.com. And then, uh, and that's uh, let me just say it's V E A S E Y. It's M A T T V E A S E Y dot com. And also, I'm just started writing with the entity called the Philadelphia Baseball Review. It's a startup website that's covering Phillies baseball. And what I was doing for them in September was writing up a piece on each Phillies opponent as each series was coming up. I was previewing the opponent and aspects of uh, the opposition, some of their better players. Uh, I was doing stuff on Ryan Madsen with the Nationals, Freddie Freeman with the Braves, that kind of thing. And that's going to continue, I, I think, into next year. It may continue. Um, the off season, we're still trying to work out uh, what I'll be writing up, but uh, we'll be doing some work for them in the off season. And I'll, I'll be doing a lot of writing probably every day at my own site if people want to follow along during the MLB playoffs. That's awesome. And I'll have a uh, link to that 
uh, website that Matt is uh, hooking up with, the Philadelphia Philly, or actually, let's see, Philadelphia Baseball Review. So you can also go to fightinphillies.com, uh, which is the home for this podcast, and catch the link right over to Philadelphia Baseball Review. It's a nice little website. Uh, they even look like they have a, a podcast going on there, so you can read Matt there. And that's awesome, Matt. Glad you're uh, branching out and uh, getting around Philadelphia. It won't be long. You'll probably be uh, at the stadium covering a team. Yeah, I don't know if my wife wants me around. <laughs> Every night. <laughs> well, let's take a break in a podcast here. I know what you mean. My wife would probably feel the same way if I did that. So <laughs> we'll be right back. We'll talk a little bit about Pete McCannon and what happened to him uh, towards the last days of the Philly season. Be right back. Sponsor an ad on the Phillies Talk podcast. Support our show and let people know about your business. Email us today. Follow us on Twitter at Fightin' Phillies or on our website, fightinphillies.com. Hi, this is Farley. And Mark from Baseball PhD. Thanks for listening to baseballpodcast.net. Up next, another great episode of Phillies Talk Hi, this is Gary Matthews. You're listening to Fightin' Phillies Talk Podcast. Brewtown Sports is your source for Brewers news and notes. Join Mr. Brewtown as he keeps you up to date on all the happenings of your Milwaukee Brewers and Major League Baseball. Follow the show on Facebook and Twitter, Brewtown Sports. Listen 24-7 at brewtownsports.podomatic.com. Hi, this is Gary Mack of Mets Musing. And you're listening to my good friend Rich Baxter on Phillies Talk, right here on BaseballTalkRadio.com, the home of great baseball talk shows. And we're back. From the break here, talking Philadelphia Phillies baseball, I'm talking with Matt Vesey. And Matt, uh, we talked a little bit uh, before the show, and uh, we talked about Pete McCannon. And I'd like to hear your personal thoughts about what happened with McCannon. I know a lot of uh, writers and people that cover the Phillies, and even fans for that matter, real big fans of the team, were sort of uh, had bad thoughts about this with McCannon. They thought he deserved a chance to manage his team in 2018. Uh, he's certainly done a pretty decent job with what he had to work with, but what's your thoughts about uh, Pete McCannon and how the Phillies uh, didn't fire him, but they moved him up to the front office? Uh, it's pretty simple for me, Rich, and I, I don't know if anybody else is thinking of it in this practical way, but I really believe that just as we were talking about there having been placeholder players here the last few years. I think McCannon all along was a placeholder manager. Um, he stepped in, you know, at a, a tough time with the Sandberg thing. Um, he deserved an opportunity. You know, he'd been a baseball lifer. He uh, only had a couple of brief opportunities managing in past years. And, I think, you know, there's some sense that, you know, hey, this guy deserves a shot, it's his time, we know we're not ready to win, 
you know, need somebody to come in here and manage these games over the next few years. Uh, this guy's here. Let's, let's give him a shot. Mm-hmm. To an extent, when the when the change in management happened, when Matt Klentak was hired, Andy McPhail, there were there were, I think that the clock was ticking on McCannon all along. I think at some point Klentak was going to want to bring in his own guy. Uh, I think he was willing to wait until he thought that the team, when the kids were coming, when the team was ready to start turning the corner and actually get away from that placeholder player and get to the more long-term, hey, we're ready to start moving forward with the winning program. That was when he was going to make his move, and I think that's what you're seeing happen. Um, Pete didn't do, I won't say it's all Pete's fault because the talent level and the experience level of the players who did have talent wasn't conducive to winning. But he didn't do himself any favors uh, by going 174 and 238 over his three seasons. So 422 winning percentage, you know, consistently last place level ball, bottom of major league ball. Some of the players individually didn't show a lot of growth during years when you think that, and, and times when they were getting experience, when you thought they would grow as players. So, you know, some of that's on the players, but some of that reflects on management too, on the manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to reflect on the coaching staff. I think you're going to see coaching staff changes as well. So it, I think this was, it doesn't surprise me. Cl- Matt Clentak wants to put his stamp on. He wants to hire his guy. And I think whoever they hire will be Clentak's guy. And I think whoever they hire will be here for the next three or four years while they push forward with these kids, mm-hmm. while they do make a move into free agency, while they do make an attempt to win again. And, uh, that, and, and like I said, Pete didn't didn't make them keep him. You know, right. If he would have found a way to win, you know, with these guys, they, that would have made it difficult to make a change. But that didn't happen, so I think it was just it was easy for them to make a change too. Yeah, and as you said, I think a lot of the fans and you know people that thought maybe he got a raw deal from the Phillies. Um, sort of sided on the fact that the Phillies didn't have a cohesive group in place, um, even though he was very high on them uh, early in the season, uh, the group that they had did not gel together. And it wasn't until they brought up these players from the minors that sort of made the difference in this team. So hard to tell if McCannon uh, on this team as the manager in 2018, would they be as successful as they were for the last couple weeks, being that he's sort of an older guy. Um, to them, he's probably, you know, most of these players, he's like a grandfather. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, I... He's 65, maybe 66, and even Klintak, you know, himself is probably, what, 30, 30 years young? 30, 33 or 34. So... I think you're going to see. Uh, I mean, I know, I know, I have my own personal preference, and I know there's a lot of different names being floated out there. But I think you're going to see a contact guy, if you will, somebody who has you know, some connection, uh, something, somebody who he's more comfortable with. And I don't think you know, McCannon just wasn't that guy. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about uh, the announcement from the other day from uh, Andy McPhail that. 
So he sort of announced that the Phillies would have a new sound system uh, for 2018. So some of the fans made a little light of that so far. They were saying, you know, we didn't need that announcement from Andy McPhail. We needed him to tell us that we signed two great pitchers or something. You know, there a lot of feedback about that uh, on Twitter. And they were also referring to Matt Klintak, one one. Uh, tweet as Special K. They refer to him as uh, Special K, so I kind of got a kick out of that nickname for uh, Clintac. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was an unusual press conference. Um, pretty much McPhail, I mean, he said a lot of things, but I think what he boils, what he said boils down to is we don't have any intention to spend a lot of money on big free agents. We don't see anybody available who make that significant a difference to us that we want to pay that person the amount of money or the amount of time that they're going to be looking for. The guys like Darvish, the guys like Arietta, what it's going to take to sign them at the age that they are for the years that they're going to be looking for. I think that the Phillies had a great example right here in the last week. They, all they had to do was look at Doc Halliday. And look at what happened to them when they hit age 32, 3, 4. Do you want to invest big money five years, seven years in a 31-year-old pitcher, in a 30-year-old, 32-year-old pitcher? I don't think it's smart, and I understand. I agree with them. Mm -hmm. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to do something, and you're going to have to make a big trade, for a big pitcher or two where you're going to have to maybe lay out a little more money than you're comfortable with. But I think that they see this team right now as being more than that away still. Mm-hmm. They need, they, we need that one more year next year to get these kids playing over a full season. And so especially the pitchers that they have, I'm a lot more comfortable right now with the position players than I thought I would be. It's the pitching staff that I think still needs to, especially the starters, still need to work out. Mm-hmm. Might be uh, available here long term that can help them actually here. So it was a weird press conference in that he was basically saying we're not going to spend a lot of money on players and we're not going to be bringing in big free agents. Don't look for that and don't expect that. But mm-hmm. we are going to we are going to do some things to our our facility. We're going to fix yeah. up spruce up the ballpark you know do some things with you know lighting and sound system and other amenities uh, that'll be positive for the fans mm-hmm. he made some comment like we have the second oldest ballpark in the national league east i mean really <laughs> i mean <laughs> maybe it is the second oldest but that's only because everybody's getting new ballparks I mean, Citizens Bank Park, I, I don't. I hope nobody is ever going to try to sell me that it's getting old. I mean, it's only, what, 12 years old, 13 years old. It's a beautiful ballpark. And if they feel like it needs some fixing up, you know, uh, they mm-hmm. need to put up, you know, and dust some things off and make a few, you know, changes. And they're, you know, great, fine. This is an opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of with him. I think if you look at the free agent classes that are coming up, after this, that are coming up after 2018, after 2019, after 2020, as these young players that they already have are starting to prove themselves a little more. 
that's when it's going to be smart to spend the money, and they're going to have a lot of it. Right. And that's what they say. They currently have a lot of money to spend, and, and you're very conservative in your um, opinion that you think the Phillies could sort of survive another season like this season. I'm, I'm sort of the other, other side of that. I think the Phillies have something special here. I think they know they have a little bit something special, and I think they should move towards uh, exploiting that something special by going out and, and spending money. Go out, get yourself a marquee pitcher. Don't rely on Nola to be your number one. He's He's a great pitcher, but is he your best pitcher? Currently on the Phillies he is, but I think they need to go out there and splash and, and sign a, a, a Chris Sale type of player if one is available. As you said, maybe there's no great pitching available for 2018. I haven't even looked at it yet, but I think Arietta is going to be available. And I, I don't know. The Phillies uh, might miss a chance. Yeah, look, at, look at the names, but when you look at the names... Look deeper. You know, look at what their their age is. Look at what they're making now. Look at how much they're likely to be asking for over how many years. And then then decide whether you think that they want to. It's easy to say, yeah, oh, yeah, I want you, Darvish, and Jake Arrieta pitching for the Phillies next year. That's going to make them a winning team. Well, wow. how much is it going to take you to get you, Darvish, and Jake Arrieta? And maybe it will make you better for next year. But it might also be a big albatross contract hanging around your neck for the next five years after that. That's the, that's not necessarily a smart move. That's the thing. What what will the market bear for these pitchers in the off season? And that's why the general manager gets paid all the money that he does. And that's why uh, Andy McPhail gets all the money that he does. These guys are going to have to come up with this decision, pitch it to ownership. Ownership's either going to have to approve it or say, no, I'm not spending uh, $50 million over three and a half or four seasons for Jake Arrieta. By the way, he's only 31 years old, which isn't, isn't that old. Now. Right. He's <laughs> not 31 three years from now when you're going to be paying him 20-some million dollars a year. True, true. And he's going to be paying him 20-some million dollars a year at 30. Four and thirty-five. That'll be rolling the dice. How yeah, thirty-five-year-olds are out there winning Cy Youngs or contending for them. Exactly. What will the market bear? And we probably won't know this until after the World Series when they have the uh, winter meetings. Uh, then a lot of teams are going to go out and spend some money, and it'll be those teams that need pitching and need a guy like this that will be able to spend uh, money on a player like this. He's eight years into the league already, which isn't a terribly long time. Um, one could argue maybe his best seasons are ahead of him still. That is a possibility. Maybe somebody will get a great deal, and, and if you get three strong years out of him, even if you give him like a five-year contract, if you only get three strong years out of him, maybe that's worth it. You know, if they're strong years, you can contend. I think you're going to see those kind of guys go to teams that are a little closer to now, that are a little closer to already contending, and um, teams that have have still have money to spend. Maybe sure. a team like the Yankees, who can sure. absolutely use you know an arm or two, and who are positioning themselves 
uh, to have a little more money to spend over the next few years and who are already a wild card team. You know, somebody like that may be stepping in. But right. I think those are the kind of teams that will get these guys. And I personally, I just don't, I kind of agree with McPhail that it's not, and I know it's frustrating to a lot of fans, but I just don't think it's the time where these are the guys uh, to make that kind of investment in. I'll tell you who would agree with you, though, is ownership. I think ownership itself, Middleton wants to win. Mm-hmm. Middleton wants to spend money. He has it, he knows they have it, and he's ready to spend it. Yeah, and believe it or not, uh, in one of my pieces in fightinphillies.com uh, from a couple of months ago, you'd have to search the old uh, uh, posts there, uh, but one of the criticisms of Andy McPhail during his whole career as a upper management, quote-unquote, employee of a ball club has been his inability to land good free agents. Even when he was with Baltimore, I was doing research on uh, several stories in the Baltimore newspapers, uh, and they echoed that sentiment years ago that you know, he did pick up a few good free agents, but not those free agents that would allow a team to take that next step. So that's been one of the criticisms of Andy McPhail, is he's too uh, conservative on a ball club when they may have a chance to go further. He's not pulling the trigger, so to speak, on the right moves. And ownership's got to look at that as well. And determine for themselves, hey, Andy McPhail, are you making the right moves for this baseball team? Yeah, um, Ryan Lawrence did a nice piece uh, with the Philly Voice right you know, after McPhail's news conference. And a real telling portion of Ryan's piece, he, and towards the end, he talks about that McPhail-Middleton relationship and that McPhail basically had to sell Middleton on why aren't you going to be spending money to significantly increase our payroll for next year. And that would, to me, fairly obviously mean why aren't you going to go after a couple of big free agents that'll put more fannies in the seats and mm-hmm. get us winning. Right. And McPhail's reaction, uh, her, Ryan Lawrence, McPhail's, uh, McPhail's response was that ownership did not react well to that idea of not spending money. That So that tells me Mick Middleton wanted to spend money. Mm-hmm. But McPhail went on to say was that they're okay with it as long as, you know, there's a plan, number one, and they, did un- they had to explain to ownership what their plan was, and ownership did understand ultimately but that ownership also did give them, as Lawrence puts it, with one proviso, that if an opportunity presents itself, we do not exclude it. So that means you know, if the, the right opportunity comes along, that ownership wants to be able to go out and take advantage of that opportunity, even if that means you know spending money. Now, does that mean that they might get involved uh, with Shohei Otani, you know, the Japanese kid. Uh, that's a young pitcher who would fit into a long-term program who's going to cost money, uh, but who they have plenty of money for, but it's not like a 30, 31-year-old guy. 
it's a you know low to mid 20s guy who's going to be here through his prime. Maybe that's the kind of opportunity you know that we're talking about. So mm-hmm. I hold that hope. At first, I was thinking, well, I guess that knocks them out of the Otani picture. But this kind of statement from ownership may mean that you know this is what they're talking about. If an opportunity presents itself, we do not exclude it. Right, and just to let our listeners know about John Middleton a little bit, of course, he's a multi-billionaire. His net worth is $3 billion. His family sold a tobacco business to Philip Morris uh, back in 2007 for $2.9 billion. So that's, that's a guy that's got a lot of money. Um, he's a philanthropist, which means that he's not focused on money all the time. He's giving it away. He's giving it to charities, things like that. But he's no fool and he's no dummy. So I, I think he could sort of see through somebody that says, you know, we shouldn't spend money because, quote unquote, why? Uh, you don't want to win. You don't want to put more fans into the seats. Convince me why you don't want to spend money. And that's what I'd have to say if I was next to John Middleton or John Middleton himself. Why, you know, Convince me why I shouldn't want to spend money on this team. Yeah, he, McPhail, he went on to that in that same piece. McPhail goes on to say that, that he, that Middleton is intense and he wants to win um, and that he's smart and real, but he's also realistic. Uh, he's been around the game. Middleton didn't just buy the Phillips. I mean, he just became the controlling or managing, whatever you want to call it, Prince, partner. Principal, he's yeah. Been the ownership group for a long time. Right. And he, he is close to McPhail and close to the decision. He's not a meddlesome owner, but he's an involved owner. So uh, he's, not, he's not George Steinbrenner, but he might be, which I think somebody recently, I, don't, I can't remember who it was, but maybe uh, Jimmy Rollins had said something like he would be a Steinbrenner-like owner. Yeah, and, and you know, good ways that Steinbrenner was. Yeah, and believe it or not, the Phillies were the Yankees of the National League towards certainly after 2008 when they won the World Series, uh, 2009, 2010, 2011, they were compared with the Yankees of, of the National League. Everybody was writing about them and, you know, look at how much money they spent. And they, I used to think uh, they had a blank checkbook for uh, then uh, GM Ruben Amaro where he could just go out and write any check he wanted to, you know. And the Phillies... Uh, you know, seem to be successful doing that uh, with certain moves. Not always. Uh, they only won the one world championship. Of course, they went to the World Series in 2009. But I think it's about time for the Phillies to to, to take a step up. Uh, and if they don't for 2018, then you're, you may have mediocrity again. And you're not going to have many fans in the stand. You're going to lose the interest of your quote-unquote casual fan that would like to go to a ball game, but if they're not winning, why bother? This is my take, Rich. My take is that this is it. Like 2018, this is it. This is the, this will be the last year that they don't spend money. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're going to see is, I think that they believe, and I'm not sure that I disagree, I think that they believe that they're going to be better next year based off of what they saw in the second half. By having a full season at a Hoskins, Crawford, Alfaro, Williams in the lineup, 
by having some of the pitchers who pushed their way to the major leagues and got their feet wet, hopefully improving next year. I think that they believe they have the makings of a 500 ball club right now. And so that gives them, I believe, the courage, the ability in-house to say, we don't need to make any more changes from what we made. What we need is to keep this program that we've been building towards, let them play now. Kind of like a dead news bears chant, you know, let them play, let them play. Now's the time. They're here, let them play next year. And as next year develops and, you know, we start to get, I think what they hope is that the fans will start to fall in love with these players who are the future. Right. I just mentioned, maybe if, you know, Dubal straightens himself out a little bit and keeps being more flash than, you know, than fantasy. If Altair stays healthy, you know, maybe even takes another step beyond what he did this year. I think that that's what they believe. I think they believe they have something good now and they're ready to sell that and that it is sellable next year and that it is capable of winning at least at a 500 clip for a sustained six-month period. So I think that's what they're banking on. In any event, I think this is it. You are going to see them spend money after 2018. And I think that you might even see them spend money in 2018 if the right, say, trade, if they're hanging around that 500 mark and it's getting to be the, if you're hanging around the 500 mark and it's getting to be the MLB trade deadline, then you're probably in the second wild card hunt. So it's possible they could be thinking, hey, maybe we'll be a buyer next year at the trade deadline. Let's see what opportunities are available then. Yeah. That's what I think you're looking at right now. Well, very interesting there. And I, I, you're going to give them 2018 to continue this rebuild, but I think, I don't know. I, I know uh, Matt Klentak and uh, Andy McPhail just got into this rebuild, but we've been sort of patient as fans, bloggers, uh, press people. For the most part, press people are, are not cited upon like fans are. They can't say things that they want to say in opinions. They're just reporting the news. But um, a lot of the times, uh, it's a it's a question of are you going to retain your fan base? We all remember the mid '90s. Those of us that are a certain age, uh, after '93, and the Phillies were terrible for a good number of years, and they they didn't spend money. Um, I drifted away from the Phillies after a few years. I started liking the Mets because they. It was just monotony to watch well, a team. I can hang up on you now. <laughs> I mean, I literally, well, I've always liked the Mets for other reasons, along with the Phillies. Not as much as the Phillies, but I couldn't watch the team anymore. I couldn't turn on the television and watch them lose like they did this season, um, almost 100 games. It got very old. Let me ask you this, and this is where I think that the team is in McHale and are trying to sell you did, I think we talked about this before we went on the air. I think we all, as fans, I was reading, you know, following social media and watching things. You were, this team was interesting the last two months of the season. Yes. You were enjoying these games. You liked watching these young kids playing. Yes. It was exciting to look at the lineup every night and say, you know, is Crawford in the lineup? Is he, where's he playing? Where's, 
Where do they got in Williams hitting tonight? You know, where's Hoskins? You were excited, right? Yeah, I, I bought into it a little bit, yeah. And that's what they believe is going to happen next year. I believe they're thinking we're ready as an organization to commit to these kids now from day one. You know, it's not going to be uh, they got they need a little more time. They got to percolate. Now's the time. Hmm. And I think that's what you're going to see is a big selling point when they go get, get ready to start up for 2018. They're going to be saying, this is it. This is the jump off, you know, and, and everything you were excited about for the last, you know, two or three months of last season, that's what you should be excited about this year. We're ready to move forward and we're going for it. And, and it's the beginning, I think, now that hmm. we've been waiting for. Um, so I don't think it's the same rebuild. I think the rebuild's been, it's been almost like a coming, coming, coming. Well, now it's here. You know, mm -hmm. this is, you still got to be a little bit patient because you're not going to go from last place to winning the World Series in one year. You know, there's going to be that interim step where you got to kind of figure out, okay, what, do we, what else do we need here? And, and we've seen that happen before with the Boston Red Sox. And that's the thing. If you don't go out... Um, for example, when Joe Madden was available as a manager, he was on the market or he could have been signed by someone. Someone went out there and grabbed him and signed him. It just so happened to be the guy that was responsible for the Red Sox uh, going from worst to first when he was GM, I believe. And, you know, it's moves like that, bold moves, that make a team go from worst to first. But if you stay back... You hold your chips back at the table, and you're not going to put them up. You're not going to grab some available guy. And I, I use Arietta because I don't know anyone else uh, that's available in his caliber. But if you don't make that move and that jump, in my opinion, you're just, you're just going to be mediocre. You're going to maybe hope to rebuild. Who knows? Hoskins may break his leg in 2018. He may get hit by a pitch. You don't know. His career could be over in one game. Um, but, uh, you know, just getting that pitcher, um, in my opinion, is what the Phillies need. And they need a closer, and they need a better bullpen for sure. But uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, it, you, you brought up an example. You know, and you got... Got Arietta, he'll be 32 at the start of spring training. His ERA went up this year for a second straight season. Uh, it's almost doubled from his Cy Young year two years ago. His, you know, his uh, K per nine rate is down half of a K from that Cy Young year. He's, you know, it's just, he's already battling an injury right now. You know, it's got him up in the air. I think it was, he's got some kind of a pull that's got him up in the air. He's already making 15 million. This is his, you know, big free agent hit here. I just, I, you know, I wouldn't do it if he's <laughs> looking for five years and 100 million. I'm not signing Jake Arrieta. Right. You know, wow. For three years and and 60 million, you know, maybe that's the opportunity that they're talking about. But like you said, we won't know what the market, you know, is until until after the World Series, but I have a feeling, you know, that the years and the dollars for a guy like that, it's going to be something that I, I wouldn't be comfortable with, and I don't think they're going to be. Yeah, and maybe uh, some other teams that you mentioned that may be in the market for him, like Yankees or 
you know, the Yankees are, are overextended as it is. The Dodgers are overextended as it is. Uh, some of these teams are already well overextended, so that might work in the Phillies' favor if they decide to go out and get a pitcher like that. But anywho, uh, it's been a great podcast. I enjoyed talking Phillies baseball with you, Matt. And again, you can check Matt out at mattvz.com and uh, philadelphiabaseballreview.com as well. Matt, uh, any closing words for the podcast? I'm going to give you two closing words for the podcast. Brad Osmus. That's my that's my managerial uh, favorite. Uh, he's he's a youngish. He's under 50. Mm-hmm. He's a smart guy, an Ivy League guy. He went to the same school that Clintac went to, so you got that kind of connection. Uh, I like the job that he did with the Tigers. I think he just ran into a situation where they were aging out. It was almost like the Phillies in the early part of this decade and um, I really think that Osmus is is going to be a really I think he is already and I think he's going to be a really good uh, major league manager somewhere and uh, I'm kind of hoping that's the Phillies he's the guy that I want to see very interesting I I sort of I'm on a dark horse somebody that I didn't even hear mentioned or probably uh, somebody that doesn't even have a shot for managing this team but I'm I'm going to go with a dark horse and Mickey Morandini. I think he would make a great major league manager. Seems like he has fun. He was on that 93 team. Uh, he knows a group of guys that got together. Uh, him, Kruk. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Kruk wanted to throw his name into that. Of course, he hasn't been in the management of uh, AAA level or anything like that, but I'm Quite sure he could manage a ball club as well. Not sure if he would want to, but uh, Mickey Morandini would be my, you know, oddball, under the radar type of pick for this team. But I haven't even seen him mentioned anywhere. Mickey Morandini. <laughs> it's you know, you know, he he's coaching, you know, so he may get at least get an interview. Yeah. So, he's, a, he's a good dark horse name. They're all throwing out. There. People are throwing out Sam Wells' name. Mm-hmm. He's the third base coach, so yeah. Let's see why you can't throw out Morandini's name. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Of course, uh, you know the Phillies sort of keeping us in suspense. It's been about a week already since the announcement uh, that they'll be looking for a new manager in uh, 2018. So, thanks for tuning in to this edition of Phillies Talk Podcast, everyone, and we'll catch you on the next edition.